Hey podcasters, it is episode 10 and it is season finale time. But not to worry, LazyPod will be back after the summer break. And maybe I'll do some stuff over the summer. Who knows? <laughs> but today on the pod is Dashun Wang. Dashun is an associate professor and the founding director of the Center for Science of Science and Innovation at Northwestern University. He works on the science of science. And doing that, he turns the scientific method upon ourselves, drawing on those amazing new data sets out there and tools from complexity sciences and artificial intelligence. His research has been published repeatedly in journals like Nature and Science, and he has been featured in virtually all major global media outlets. Dashun is a recipient of multiple rewards for his research and for his teaching, including uh, Young Investigator Awards, the Poets and Quants Best 40 on a 40 Professors, Junior Scientific Award from the Complex Systems Society, the Thinkers 50 Radar List, and more. And in our wide-ranging conversation, we talk about his life, his career, and his new book, so actually, it's too lazy to read the book today. We talk about the book, The Science of Science. But enough jibber-jabber, let's get to the show. I'd like to use this as an excuse to ask uh, personal questions. I've seen your CV, it looks great, but um, I knew you already uh, when you were a grad student. In Boston, we were both at Laszlo Barabashi's uh, lab. Now you're a grown man. You're part of lists of 40 under 40 and all kinds of things. But I'm interested in even going back before you were a grad student at Laszlo's lab. So how how did you end up uh, a grad student at Laszlo's in in Laszlo Barabashi's group? Oh, um, you know, I went to talk to Laszlo. I saw Laszlo, you know, I, I, I was at Northeastern and the same year Laszlo was in Northeastern and, um, and I saw his website. I was like, wow, that's cool. Uh, yes. So I want to talk to him. Uh, I didn't know anything about networks. And, uh, and to this day, it remains as a mystery uh, how exactly that he gave me a chance to try it out. Yeah. And, yeah. It's, so it's I, I, still, selective, I still, right? Like he, he he only has postdocs almost, and and he's very selective. But but um, but were you in the physics department? Like, what's your yeah, background? Yeah, I was in the, the physics department. Yes, and um, you know, I was just went through the typical training as a physicist. You know, like I had undergraduate in physics from China for that university, and then I came to the U.S. for a PhD in physics. Yes, and um, you know, I I guess I was lucky in the sense that I didn't quite know what I'm going to study and nope. then I came in I was just looking to see what 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 are things out there and then I stumbled upon Basel's website I was like wow I gotta talk to him so Did I went to talk to him and uh and I, I think it should be very clear that I didn't know anything and um I, I think at least I made that clear through the meeting uh that's on my only recollection Yes. So I still need to ask him, I think, you know, how, how did, uh, you know, what was the fortuitous uh, incidents that, uh, that he gave me a, 
opportunity. And then I got into the lab. I remember my first day in the lab was uh, Cesar Hidalgo's uh, farewell party. You yes. know, he also doesn't have many postdocs and then just only few students. And Cesar was, you know, one of the star students. And, uh, and I remember the party and, you know, they, they were dancing and there was drinking involved. And I was like, wow, this is uh, the kind of life that, uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that I think I, uh, I want to be here. So, yes. No, it was it was a nice uh, uh, lab culture around that time. I'm sure it was also all kinds of other times, but it was kind of there were so many people there that you could you could um, or it was a good measure because you could get access to Laszlo. There was kind of few enough that you could see him sometimes, but at the same time, there's also so many that you could uh, you could uh, you could breathe and you had some space. It's, it's always very scary. I remember when Lasso kind of puts the laser focus on your project and then he's like, okay, now, you know, like uh, I'm expecting kind of a rapid turnaround and, uh, and deliverables, right? Then you knew that stuff would be, be happening and you might not be catching up with another episode of uh, The Wire or whatever uh, we used to do <laughs> off work at that time. But that's awesome. But so now you're uh, an associate professor at Northeastern. So Northwestern. Um, Northwestern. Sorry, it's uh, it's the drugs. Uh, I think Northwestern. You know, like <laughs> it's north. It's north in a direction. You know. That's right. Yes. Uh, at least yes. There's there's a country album called Southeastern. Uh, also, but anyway, now you're at Northwestern. You're in Chicago, the windy city, uh, or at least uh, very close to it. Uh, so, so what what was your journey? So, so I mean, I've seen the papers, but but I know less about how did you then go from being a grad student with Laszlo to uh, to where you are now. Oh, it's been a journey. It's difficult to you know think about how just life takes you with different turns and and with you know, all different kinds of opportunities. And, and I, I feel like there's several steps along the way. I didn't quite know what I'm going to get into. So yeah. uh, for sure, you know, when I graduated and, you know, it's interesting, you know, when I graduated, I, I felt like I learned so much from the lab and from Laszlo and everybody else in the lab. Uh, but to be honest, it wasn't clear what I should be doing. You know, it wasn't clear, you know, I think back then, people like us are still a rare breed of this some new generation of something, but it wasn't clear yes. what it was. And we didn't quite know either, right? So it wasn't clear, should we pursue a career in the physics department, which doesn't seem like a main, anything that close to mainstream? Should we think about computer science? You know, And that's the time when this, a, a range of computer scientists has become extremely prolific and prominent yep. and, uh, and also some other, you know, maybe social science disciplines. So it wasn't clear. And then I uh, took an industry job. So I went to IBM TJ Watson Research Center, become research staff member. And there's some family he, uh, history there. You know, Laszlo also started his uh, career yeah. at IBM TJ Watson, the same, the exactly the same building that campus has basically been there for a long time. So it's a just great legacy in the place. Uh, so I, yeah, so I went there and, and then I joined this, basically the computer science uh, department there. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, yeah, and, and I learned so much by hanging out with 
computer scientists, you know, yeah. publishing what, some. What kind of stuff were you working on? What kind of stuff were you working on in that uh, period? So, I mean, the idea there was, you know, at the time, you know, we were doing, I think, broadly at the time we taught big data, right? So you yeah. and me, I think both of us. And, and I think at the time, and that's kind of the, the umbrella and it's something that I want to do more. And, uh, and that was the, you know, the goal of uh, when IBM was trying to hire me and they were saying, you know, we want to think about how to use what you did on the big data to help our business side and the clients as well. And sort of that's kind of the research uh, angle, like how do we further the thought leadership yeah. in that direction? So then also gradually to see if there's any applicability uh, yes. in solving some of their clients' yes. problems. Good thing they and, didn't hire uh, me. That would have been a big problem for IBM in furthering uh, their data science. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I yeah. I met like a range of just fascinating people, and you know, form a bond of friendship that lasts until today. And it was yeah. very for years of my career, so it was fantastic. And um, but it's everything's different. I, I guess that's what I like about it. The only thing that wasn't uh, uh, I would say I wished for more was I, I didn't get to stay there for long, you know, like I uh, uh, not so like several months into the job, then I got an opportunity from Penn State uh, yeah. the information school. And, uh, and I went to went for an interview. I remember the interview happened the day after the KDD that live. So I was working with my colleagues like to midnight and then I got up to drive like 200 miles to Penn State. And I was like, okay, so I'm just gonna go give a talk and I meet with people and, and a lot of people that I didn't know, you know, these are people not like the, at the time, you know, didn't have the, a lot of network, like, you know, in the nice side community people, for example. So yeah, yeah so I, I went to talk, give a talk. And then I, I think, after shortly after I left and drove back, I think I was the last candidate, so they had a second meeting. So basically, like uh, two days afterwards, I got over, and yes. I was like, and, and it was like exploding over, and and so yeah, so it, it, it and to me at the time it makes sense uh, in the sense that you know I I liked everything I do at IBM, but at the time I also had this. Uh, this itchy feeling that I, I really want to do this idea that I myself wrote down in my computer called science of science. And because I see a lot of things are emerging and, and I really want to push on that agenda. And um, so, so I think, you know, in order to do that, academia is probably the best place to really try to, you know, because we've got the infrastructure to start our own group yes. and think about our own agenda. So that was the appealing part that that I, I think I wanted to just stay more focused and which is going to be very difficult to do in the industry lab because I was the youngest member in the group, you know, and I wouldn't yes. know how to handle a group, uh, you know, in, the, in that setting. So, yeah, so I, then I just decided I'm going to uh, go to Penn State and start my group. And I was, uh, I started the uh, beginning of 2015 and uh, yeah, and, and it was, it was fantastic. It's uh, a small place. It's a college town. And I, I, my wife and I like just basically fall in love with college town. 
Yes. Uh, so we loved our time there. It was fantastic. And then um, only the problem was, you know, then, uh, you know, the only thing I wish for more is like, if I can stay there for longer. And then, you know, Kellogg came along um, and to see if I'm interested in moving to Kellogg. And, uh, and, and my first reaction, obviously, as it should be just like, are you crazy? You know, like I'm a, I have no idea what business school is. I am not a, a remotely, or, uh, remotely related that I can come claim myself being an expert on anything related to what business school does. So, uh, so it feels like a very extreme possibility, but I, I, I was glad I took a, like, you know, I, I had an open mind. I came over, give a talk, and meet with people, and uh, people are extremely nice and extremely competent and very well, you know, very well respected for whatever they do. So yeah, I'm just very impressed by the place. So then we moved, and uh, uh, and wh when was this move? It was a year later. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it was very fast. 26, yeah, I, you know, I was at IBM for a year and a half, Penn State for a year and a half. And um, I, we moved three months after Alan was born, our first one. Uh, and uh, yeah, we've been here since almost now, almost five years. So, yes. uh, that is I am now the longest uh, of where I am. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. It's, um, it's, 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 it really is a whirlwind, uh, that those like, because a year and a half goes by so quickly, right? Like, um, kind of it's, it, it, it really, uh, it really flies, but, but both Penn and Kellogg, uh, as I know it have also really great, uh, you know, like uh, departments for the kind of things that we do. So it also is a kind of a nice uh, flow to have been through, I, I think. And, and, uh, and yeah, and, and I mean, I joke that I should never uh, try and uh, help IBM and, and, the, and that that's because um, <laughs> that, that uh, you, you know, like that science in some sense is about following the ideas that are um, beautiful and interesting, much more than useful and industry tends to be more like let's solve this let's solve this problem right and, and we start maybe with that idea but then we go actually there's a different problem that we can solve in a more satisfying way or whatever but but having said that i guess ibm really is a kind of more researchy environment right and they have many great scientists that keep publishing so so i mean it's not like you had to go see clients and and uh, do billable hours and you know, s s solve very concrete problems around that time, right? You still did research. You know, it is a remarkable research institution and some of the most productive people like did the past years in IBM research and, and it does have this structure for people to do that. And, yeah. uh, and that was the part that I felt, you know, when I joined Penn State, people were like, oh, he came back to academia but i was like when did i leave like i didn't feel yeah. like i have left <laughs> um but uh but i also like you know i i think looking back it, it i feel like it really benefited me 
was, you know, when I was IBM, I did more than just research. I, I also like jump at the opportunity to meet with clients. And, yes. and I will through to client side, which is rarely what people do in, if you're a researcher. Uh, I, I didn't say no when I was presented that opportunity and um, and I kept the open mind. And, and at the time, I didn't know where this was going to lead me. But I, I looking back, I think a lot of those interactions and experiences all like been very helpful. Yeah, you no, know? absolutely. But then you don't really know what's going to be useful. So <laughs> no, 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 I totally agree with that. I completely agree with <laughs> that. You should, uh, you should kind of do what you, yeah, you can never predict what's going to be useful. And, and uh, maybe that's also a kind of a, a theme of research in a way, right? That uh, uh, trying to, to game what will be interesting is not uh, necessarily easy, but, but, but let's maybe get to the research. So, so it's a really interesting path. And, and you could say, you kind of mentioned that as you were moving to Penn, you, you had a research agenda that you wanted to pursue around the science of science. And I think, I think that's a super interesting research area you know, for many, many reasons. But, but for, for me, primarily because there's so, such good data, people actually track science, there's uh, clues and the, there's networks, you can define so many different networks and there's also tangible outcomes, which we don't see in a lot of places. So, so what was it, what was the kind of thing you, what you felt like finishing with the science of science and what, what about the yeah. kind of that path? That, that's a great question. I, I, I think we'll, today we'll focus on thinking about this uh, sort of area that many people now contribute to and uh, identify themselves with. But before I do that, I just want to highlight a true visionary. There was this phenomenal paper before all this data that in nature that called not science of science, but measures for measures. Am I getting it right? Yes, yes. <laughs> it is very true. But, uh... <laughs> But it's because I'm so old that, that they didn't, you know, like this was the only place you could find data on anything was, uh, was by going through these old uh, citation databases. And that was uh, 2006 or I, you know, what, but, you what know, was like, the paper? But there are, I mean, there are these kind of crazy, you know, like physicists, there is a kind of physics tradition for just crunching numbers, right? So, so of course, uh, the Sawyer Price was a physicist, also like the way I can't remember the years now, but you know there are these incredible stories that he did the exponential growth of science by by stacking his uh, yeah. books up against the wall. I think Shockley, who is famous for many things, yeah. also had some citation papers, and Sid Redner yeah. had also worked. Like I remember all the, there were so few citations back then that I remember. Because of course it was impossible to publish this in uh, physics journals, so you had to find every <laughs> single physicist who had ever touched, uh, you know, a computer screen. So, so there are kind of some, some very few data points in the past of physicists doing this, and I mean, and I think there's also a little bit secret sauce about this that we talked about then, which is that the science of science is also great because it's about us. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's a great data set, but it's also you kind of, you can see yourself in the paper. You know, if you're reading some abstract thing about uh, food webs or whatever, it can be 
fascinating with signs of science you're also going like well how how's this about me and it would do i have a hot streak uh what's what's happening <laughs> but, <laughs> but anyway but thanks for thanks for kindly uh pointing out that that yes that i started out also um yeah i almost turned this around like should i i was too lazy to read your paper should i interview you <laughs> I, can, I can tell you about it <laughs> no but it, but no i have too many questions for you to uh, turn it around i have some great i have some amazing i have some superb uh questions but 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 i want want to kind of talk about this path so so what was it what was it because you you kind of said I have some unfinished business. I want to start a team and get working on this, right? Those are more or less what you said. So how, what, what was it that you felt uh, you wanted to do there? Or what, what is like, um, yeah, what, what pulled you in that direction? I mean, and maybe it's just like, well, I had a couple of ideas, but it could also be deeper or different. Well, we did the, at the time we already finished the first paper in the direction. It's not like we haven't done anything. You know, we, no, no. in my last chapter of the dissertation, you know, you know, my, you know, as you know, when you were in the lab, I was working on mobility, right? I was primarily yep. thinking about intersection between mobility and social network. Yep. You know, basically taking a view that, you know, Marta Gonzalez's phenomenal paper is about individual mobility. So I want to think about, you know, how yep. networks may influence mobility yep. and mobility may influence networks. And I, for a long time, I thought that's going to be my dissertation. And until toward the end of my uh, PhD, I took, uh, you know, think about, oh, I actually have time to do a new project. So, so that's where we start to think about sort of this broad idea of a success, you know, and, yes. and that's a lot has been told on us, the story yes. front. But so that was, uh, but I remember, you know, it's interesting looking back because when I started, uh, you know, I first person I told was Chaoming that, you know, who is you know, just basically, we hang, we're like hang out all the time. Yes. And, uh, you know, and he was excited, you know, and, yep. and when we click, then we want to do things together. And, but other people, I was telling them, like, usually I'm met with a laugh that, you know, are you serious? You know, like, yeah, you know, I, I think, yes, I, we're serious in that. I, I feel there's something there I want to understand, you know, yeah. and, uh, and the name is Umbrella. It's not like, you know, but I, I, it's not, uh, we're, we're not so serious in the sense we didn't quite know what it means to think yes. about what is understand success. Yes. And, um, but that was enough to get us going. And we started to just look at the data, what kind of data that captures some proxies for success. And, and we started with the simplest one, which is citations. Mm -hmm. And the goal of the project was to say, let's use citations as a test case and then let's expand it to other yes. things and then and then you know through the project we just drill deeper and deeper and deeper and at the end we thought well you know just modeling citation dynamics by itself it is such a hard problem like we just couldn't get our heads around to think about you know how do we get these uh, all the pieces of puzzle to fit together you know yeah. we know citations go up and down but they go yeah. different ways and uh, we know there's uh fat tail distribution, and we know there's exponential growth. How do you all fit this together in a cohesive model and not only based on 
like verifiable assumptions. It, it just it, that was enough for us to think through, and then so we decided just to write that up for as a paper. And uh, yeah, so that that was the first paper we published was so 2013, and then um, yeah, and 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 sort of and then it, it, I remember like when we started. The, there was meant to be, this was only a corner of the paper. So even when we started, I knew in my mind, there were like so many other things we should explore. Yes. And in science and beyond. And, yep. uh, and there could be, I also was wondering, you know, there could be also uh, sort of uh, ubiquitous patterns that will apply across domains as well. So I think these are all the question marks in my mind. And and now, how do we think about career after we understand citations? How do we think about collaboration? You know, all these yes. just like there's so many questions popping up. But uh, you know, I feel like then if I really want to do this, I, I need to be very focused. So, yes. so that's kind of what but I think. Then. But I think that's a super good. I think it's a super good answer. And I think, and I think, I think you're right uh, that. It is so rich, right? Because it's the authors are imposing correlations on the citation counts, but the citation counts have feedback up to the authors. And, and there's so much kind of richness in those dynamics. There's a kind of so, sociology around it, as, as we know. And in a way, it's kind of fantastic, right? Because what we never talk about, and we can just say very kind of secretly here, I'll say it so you don't have to, but there is a whole field of kind of citation analysis that existed before science of success, right? Called scientometrics. And part of why I thought in the beginning, like I don't, I, maybe I shouldn't work on citations is because that was a kind of very dry and dare I say boring field of bookkeeping and, you know, like indicators and, and so on. And I think also it was, the field was so invigorated like many other fields when Laszlo came, you came, Roberta, we also talked to on the podcast, episode one, everyone. Um, no, episode two, sorry. Episode one is, is Martha. I'm, yeah, again, Northeastern, Northwestern. You know what, I'm, you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, and so, so it's also kind of incredible, if you think about it, that there can be, and again, you don't have to answer since this is your work and you don't, but it is incredible that you can have a whole field dedicated to this for many, many years. And then there can still be on top of this, this richness that you have been working on. But of course the data has gotten better, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it's an aside. What I want to ask. <laughs> so, Wait, can I clarify on that? That's kind of an important yeah. question. I think yes. I need to. Uh, yes, please. Say a little bit. I appreciate your, uh, you know, but I, I think, I don't think I can avoid that. You know, no, yes, uh, that is a, uh, you know, in many ways, we're very excited that when I was, when I was starting to put together the book, for example, or thinking more about this yes. field, I, I felt like the beginning of my journey was reading so much of the Scientometrics papers. So I'm just extremely grateful that basically yes. these are the soldiers that uh, we yes. can join yes, the yes. soldiers we can stand upon. Yes. And uh, so that's kind of a pure blessing in a sense. There are so many people have thought through all these questions. And through the way, we also realize there is a very clear focus on metrics, right? Yes. So, so, so you know, well, they've done a phenomenal job in thinking about metrics and limitations and how to correct them. Uh, yeah. 
I think the question we focus on, we also realize there's this inherent difference in taste and scope and the method. Yes. And almost every aspect. At yeah. the same time, I also want to emphasize it's not just scientometrics who does citation analysis. There's also economics of science, economics yes. of innovation. Yes. Uh, there, there are uh, several well, very well respected, heavyweight economists, as I would yes. say, you know, that's done phenomenal work on understanding the economics angle of scientific interactions, ideas, uh, yeah. and where innovation occurs. There is also sociology of science, not sure. to forget, thinking about, you know, the phenomenal yes. book by Robert Morton. Yes, uh, you know, or the ethnographic work of Harriet Zuckerman. You know, I think the, the, the take now for us was to think about sort of standing on the shoulders of all these giants, but then sort of basically bringing two elements that has not been considered fully. One is this just remarkable amount of new data sets are becoming available. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that, you know, is, you know, the people who came before us didn't take them. We didn't have them either. You know, in a sense, if you look at my lab's work yeah. over the past five years, I would say every year we're surprised by a new data set that we didn't know it could exist the year before. Every year was like that. Even this year, like this year, 2021, we published a science paper in the beginning of the year that was rely on a data set just became available on the summer of 2020 that I couldn't even dream that it was possible. So it's just every year, it was yeah. just, there's so much new data now that's becoming yeah. available at a remarkable rate. Yes. And I think that's critical. And second, I think the critical part was also yeah. the takeoff of computational tools like deep learning, you know, the yep. embedding methods, as well as, you know, the tools of complexity science, as yes. well as the network science that really offered us a new way, I, I believe, to sort yes. of scale up a lot of the investigations. So I, I would say, you know, uh, sort of definitely been standing on the shoulders of all these giants, but also infuse uh, hopefully some new ideas and thinkings with uh, the blessings of the new data sets and techniques. Yes, beautiful, beautifully said. And, and of course, that's true. I was just trying to be a physicist. Uh, in my uh, uh, description of the situation. I'm glad you uh, corrected and kind of uh, uh, describe it more holistically, but it is still incredible kind of how then you, you and Laszlo and Roberta and the people that kind of work in this branch of it have managed to then combine all these pieces to tell some really remarkable new stories in this field that has this rich history. And I think that's a fair... Uh, assessment. I, I'm really impressed, and I think there are some some nice uh, questions, but now or, or some really really nice questions you answer in the papers, and hopefully we can get into it when we get into the book after this next question. But I have one question that's a very difficult one, so don't answer it if you feel uncomfortable or whatever. But one of the things that uh, is remarkable about about you is that you're super successful. Like you've written tons of amazing papers, right? So nature, science, uh, you know, you know, like even COVID, you, even though you're working science of success, you go like, it's changed science. You write a great paper about how COVID has changed science. You have the stuff on early career setbacks, like really masterstroke. And you, you kind of, you seem to have in some sense cracked the code of, um, 
of consistently coming, like it's not an accident anymore. You've done it many times. You consistently come up with good ideas. And it's not every person out of Laszlo's lab that kind of makes this transition, right? It's not everyone who interacts with Laszlo. So like, um, how, how did you do it? Like, do you have any thoughts yourself? And I know this is like a difficult question because it's like, what can you say? But, but I wonder if you have any comments on it anyway. Oh man, Suman, that's a that's a, a tough question. Thanks for saying that. I, I, I what I'm about to say is going to seem like, you know, appears that I'm being humble, but it's really just what I think. I I'm so glad that I'm I'm delighted that you're saying you at least I I'm not messing things up. So, uh, so I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. Uh, but to be honest, you know, start if you put in my shoes when I started at Lazo's lab from someone that I didn't know anything to begin with and sitting next to Chao Ming who's turning out nature papers every other week. Yeah. <laughs> he is also, like, he is a crazy idea who we also the have. Great ideas is like, yeah, like it's like a fireworks every day. Yes, and, I know. And, and like every people in the lab, like you, why, why, you know, Marta, all these people are around. And then later, Yang Yu Liu joined. You know, all these people are around, and and uh, I just felt like you know all these role models. I I just feel like I'm just lucky to be there and learn from all these people. And that was really what I was thinking. That's why you know by the time I graduated, you know I I could like feel like I'm a, I'm basically a, a little loser in the sense that you know everybody's got their big paper, but when I graduated, I didn't, I only, all I had was a stack of rejections from nature science, all these places. And then that, that later motivated my direction of thinking about failure. But, you know, if anything, I felt like I learned, I just got so many failures, uh, you know, in the beginning of my career and, and, uh, and, and I'm glad that I didn't really internalize that as a, I was like, yeah, but I had a great run. I, I, I learned so much. And through all this, I'm learning. Uh, every experience is great. Uh, sure, would have been nice if that paper got in with the third round of the review with that second reviewer. But, you know, like it is what it is. And I feel like I come to terms with it. And, yes. you know, and so I, I have never thought about really about, you know, I think everybody's doing fantastic work. I mean, it's nice you are saying it, but you are, you know, doing fantastic work too, you know, including the Nature paper recently published on the human mobility. And, and I think you guys continually inspire me, to be honest, so. Yeah, but it's, but I, I, I mean, I, it is, I, I understand it's a compliment, but I think also somehow you really have you really have managed to ask some very, very nice uh, questions in your own papers. And I think, that, yeah, I, I mean, so, so, so um, and I think it's a good answer. And I think it's true that, that um, it is inspiring to work with smart people. And if you can keep learning and keep picking up what's happening, I think that is, that is a really great uh, uh, strategy, right? And I think, you know, you know that the probability 
of uh, getting a Nobel Prize uh, changes if your advisor is a Nobel Prize winner uh, relative to if your advisor isn't a Nobel Prize winner, right? And, and that again shows that there is a kind of skill to learning what questions are interesting <laughs> to pursue and so on, right? Um, I think Co correlational, not, ca not causal, not causal. So <laughs> there are different <laughs> explanations. Uh, I know it's uh, yeah. my friend and colleague Brian with this paper about them. Yeah, no, no, the you know the literature better than me. I just know that the probabilities it, are. It is, uh, and, but and, uh, but not, not causal, you know, we don't know yet uh, if it's. Uh, I'm sure guaranteed. that there is some other variable and there's something <laughs> causal right. in there. Let me, um, but, but yes. Yeah, I have to read this paper so that I can uh, update, but I'm glad, <laughs> glad to be corrected on this. Uh, <laughs> we'll, put, we'll, put the link, we'll put the link to the paper in the show notes. Um, very good. Okay, thank you for answering. So now we get, to the, we get to the part of the podcast that this one, this podcast is uh, not a too lazy to read the paper, but it's a too lazy to read the book because you wrote a book also. Um, so my first question, yes, The Science of Science by Dashun and Laszlo. Uh, it's a beautiful book. Congratulations on writing it. And uh, my first question is, what's it like to write a book, right? It's, it's hard already just to write a paper. So how, 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 how is it to write a book? I didn't know. Uh, we're going to get to that question. Okay. I didn't know that part. I didn't prepare. This is the toughest question. Um, a lot of people come to me and ask me, would I recommend it? I enjoy the process. The, it just, but let's be clear. Uh, you know, I, I, I start writing a book. I, 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 I experienced the escalation of commitments and, and, uh, and I, I'm in this now. And then I immediately realized, you know, the only reason book as an object exists in the world is because the first time authors didn't understand how much it takes to write a book. Yes. Otherwise, this would not exist. And uh, so, so, you know, it's, it is a, you know, a painful process. It is a practice of solidarity and it's a practice of discipline. Uh, so, but I grow to enjoy it. And I, I took so much out of the writing process. A lot of the ideas was simply because uh, I was reading the literature and I, and I thought, oh, actually, I, I wish I want to write a chapter on that, but like, I didn't have anything. And, yes. uh, and I ended up doing research by myself with my team. And, and you know, and, and so I, I got so, it's a very, extremely rewarding experience. But uh, do, do I recommend it for people who are, who are at my career stage? And I just want to make clear, no, absolutely no. So it's, <laughs> uh, you know, it is, uh, I, I think it only works for certain kinds of people that has a certain unique tolerance for risk. Yes. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, all things considered, because, you know, like, the, the main thing in early career is still to publish papers. Yes. And, and, and it was very clear, if I want to finish the book, I had to do both. So it was hard yes. enough to write a book or publish the papers. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that was the main part of just try to push everything along with the two new burns that happened in the past five years. 
And uh, so, uh, so, <laughs> so that was the past five years. So it's yes. been. And you had and you had two kids with two years in between them, right? <laughs> and when you have one baby, you are, I mean, I remember like thinking, how can anyone do anything except just have a baby? Like that seems already full time. And then you had kind of uh, one more after two years and um, and wrote a book. So very, I was very impressive. Now, my next question is you wrote a book. What's it like to write a book with Laszlo Barabashi? So he, you know, because that's also like a thing. So Laszlo is, is amazing and he's generous and he's uh, fantastic. And he, he has, um, you know, he has depth and, and he, he, he more than anyone can smell a good idea long, far away and polish them and so on. But he's also intense, right? Like I kind of alluded to this, that if you're working with him on something, he, he would be like, okay, now, you know, let's, uh, let's see the living, let's see the things. So, so what was it like? And, and of course, you know, only say the nice things and so on, but it must also have added like a layer of expectation and intensity to work with a kind of world superstar who is kind of an intense collaborator. Yeah. So it's, you know, Lothar and I had a, I, I would say a very special relationship, you know, and, and yep. because, you know, it, I think it's undeniable is, you know, who is the most important to me in my career is Lazar Barabashi. So yes. it's all, it's an honor basically to be able to write a book with him. Yes. That's for sure. And, uh, and then on top of that, as you know, I, I think what really impressed me with him is he just has this uh, relentless focus on quality and novelty. Yes. yes. And, uh, and he is, uh, he's very clear kind of about you know what's the right direction to go yes so that's really amazing if you think about it like among all the possibilities like he he's usually very good at thinking about this is where we should go and it's very in a very decisive way so all of these you know and it just makes it this a wonderful experience and also it's a wonderful experience in that you know uh, we started the project after i left the lab and so in many ways you know it is you know i he was my phc advisor but also you know we were never together and yeah. uh, we're always separated apart and uh, you know i started my job but changed my job and and uh, it's so it's so you know every bit is a, a very nice collaboration and i think it's a nice way for us to in some ways savor of our relationship over the years, yeah, through these papers. So I like all the bits of that as well. So, yes. and and he is also at the same time incredibly busy, including writing his own book, uh, you know, for a different audience. And um, so you know, he's also very very busy. So I, I guess I didn't try, I didn't get uh, so much of the intense part from him. <laughs> because he was incredibly busy and I was so far away and I uh, in sure. some ways also become busier and busier um, although at much lesser scale immediately and uh, yeah so that's kind of uh, oh, no, absolutely. but it's you know, fantastic uh, but it obviously. was awesome anybody really? got a chance working with him highly recommend for sure absolutely I think I, I totally agree I, I agree with everything you said but it's just it's because of this relentless focus 
on quality and this like the relentlessness is the keyword that I, that I mean I would love to write a book with Laszlo but I would also be intimidated like the when he the when I thought about like should I say yes I would also be like hmm like I would, it would increase the amount of anxiety in my life for a while probably until you I mean when, once you get into it it's always fine right but you must have been a little bit um yeah, yeah kind of thinking this is a I mean, yeah, I guess it would also help you uh, finish the book and, and uh, be, be disciplined around it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the way I look at it is, uh, you know, like career is a, a long game, you know, it's a long time. We're like, yeah, we're, you must like me feel old as well occasionally. Like, you know, one phrase I use a lot with my team member these days is like, you know, when I was your age, you know, uh, yes. so I, you know, I, yeah, I feel like, you know, I've, I feel older uh, uh, by the year, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, career is a very long time. So we're still yes. in the learning phase of a career, 100%. if you will. So, so in many ways, I think that's the way I'm, I was thinking about this book was, you know, uh, it's my first book and, and I'm learning about how to write a book. And yes. I learned so much through the process and through just the practice and through failing, not yes. delivering the kind of chapter I like to read. Uh, but, you know, but these are, uh, I, I, I saw this as a learning opportunity. And if I think about this as a learning process, then the Lhasa is the perfect companion for me yes. to have on this journey. Yes. Um, so, uh, you know, absolutely. I, I, so that's kind of the way I look. Hopefully then, you know, this is not my last book, but we'll see. So, <laughs> so. Yes, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful and it's nice. And it talks about, goes back to this idea of paying attention and learning at every step of the way. And I think if I can just take it one step out, that's what's the most amazing, most amazing thing about being a scientist is that we can keep learning. And, and probably when I turn 70, I'll be less creative, I'll be more slow, but hopefully I'll still be learning, right? Like um, that's, that is, is the, the goal of it, right? That's at least, that's what I would, I would like. But let's, let's now talk more about kind of the content. So I, I like to talk about all the stuff around, but maybe you can tell us kind of what you, you, you alluded to it, but, but give, a, give the reader, assuming that other people have been too lazy to read it, give, give the reader kind of a view of what are you in for in this book? What did you set out to do? Um, let's, let's kind of, let's, he, yeah. Certainly. So I, I hold out the book for people who watch on YouTube, uh, this yes. is the book, but I, I'm not here to sell the book. In fact, I, I don't know when the podcast will be online, but I hope, I'm almost certain by the time the book will be freely available online. We're just putting everything together now. Amazing. And that was my goal starting the book was I need this to be freely available for everybody, including the text as well as the slides that I sometimes use so that everybody can take the slides, walk into the classroom or walk into a board meeting or whenever you need this, just use it and everything go free. So that's, you know, what I wanted to emphasize here as well. But if you do like old school people like me want a physical copy, you know, obviously you can get it from Amazon, but you can yes. also print it out through the PDFs. So I just say, book, oh, just I'll say on behalf of the podcast, we support buying this book on Amazon. 
Uh, there's no affiliate <laughs> link. Every all the proceeds should go to the shroom. But definitely, this is uh, the book is hereby formally endorsed uh, by uh, Too Lazy Pod. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah. So I started the journey by thinking about just the fact that it's such a diverse literature with such a rich historical content. Yet at the same time, such a fast development of its new understandings that some were building on the past literature, some were ignoring it. And, yeah. uh, and there's so many past literatures to draw from, even within the literature, they don't talk to each other in many ways. And these are all non-overlapping readership. And thinking about information science, library science, or economists, or sociologists, computer scientists, and, yes. and physicists. All these people are publishing in their own corner. And to me, it's first an uh, opportunity to synthesize these rich historical context and then think about the new developments and how all this fit in and hopefully also help me understand where all this is going. Yep. So, 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 so that was the main, when I started the book, but truth be told, I wrote two versions of the book and, and the people who see here is the second version. The first version I wrote a book, I think that can be characterized by a review paper uh, instead of a book because yeah. I, I the first version of the book I wrote it basically for researchers who may want to do science of science. Yes. So and that was the first version I had to think about the book, and and I wrote a lot of them, and I you know synthesized a lot of literature and spent a lot of my time working on that, and uh, until I realized that was not the right approach. I think that approach would have succeeded in, I think people in the field would love me more if I published yes. that version of the book because you know everybody's work is carefully uh, indexed and, and their names being called out, you know, like so-and-so uh, yes. did this in collaboration with so-and-so, you know, I, you know and I think people, will, you know, some people in the field may like more uh, yeah. that version. But to me, that was not the right version because what I realized is just like what you said, is the reason people really like science of science is because this is about science. This is about you know, the passion that every scientist has. So, yes. so if we can, if we, after we turn our scientific curiosities and methods on the science of itself, after we learned something new, about the patterns that governs the evolution of science. A lot of times we feel this has immediate relevance for the practitioners of science, namely yeah. scientists to think yeah. about as they're in this complex systems that grow in this complexity and scale with the yeah. growing physical scarcity. So, and, and so that's where I realized, you know, I shouldn't be writing this for like my close friends, like, you know, Roberta Sinatra or any other, my friends is that they will buy the book and read the book anyway. And they will know most of this stuff. So what I think the real opportunity for science of science yeah. is to open up this insight and then write it in a way, you know, for every scientist that so that they can, every scientist will be able to understand at a level that's accessible to everyone, but also they will take away these dealing lessons 
from these large-scale data sets and models and insights, and hopefully that'll better some of their practice. So, so that was the, then I scripted everything, had a new folder called the write underscore new, and, uh, you know, <laughs> everything from, you know, so that, so that also means I'm sort of deleting a lot of literature that would otherwise not been relevant for yes. thinking about, uh, you know, every, if a scientist doesn't do this kind of research, then a lot of, some of them necessarily then become not as relevant. And uh, so that was a painful process, obviously cutting through, yeah. cutting things. And, uh, but I, I, I think I like, I like the second version, the, the eventual version better than the first version. Although I can understand there would be people who like the first version better. <laughs> yes, sure. So, but yeah. let's talk about, let's talk about the writing, right? Because this is also like part of why Laszlo is a genius and part of why I think that you're so good at writing papers and what you learn from him is also telling good stories, right? And even in a paper for, in a very, in a very dry form, you can tell the paper in a boring way or you can frame it the right way and you can make it storytelling in the paper. And so what you're telling me now is that you're kind of taking the review paper version of your book, which is just like a massive uh, review paper, and now you're converting it to something that's more storytelling. And you gave some clues. You said something along, see, I made notes here. You said something like, um, focus on the lessons, right? Rather than uh, the, the attribution. So can you talk a little bit about the storytelling, the, the part of like going from one version to the other about making a book that's more about insights what like can you be more concrete because I, I mean I'm and I'm just interested I also like writing and stories and and so on so maybe uh talk a little bit about what how, how do you go from write dot write to write underscore new or whatever the folder was called well let me give you some examples and, and I think that's something that we can cover today without slides and I can just talk about you know a yeah. few things I feel I learned yeah, when I, think I look at literature and models in that lens, through that lens, you know, like one example you mentioned, you know, William Shockley, for example, is this uh, remarkable figure. He's, you know, Nobel Prize winner, invented the transistors, brought Silicon Valley, brought the silicon to yep. the Silicon Valley, found a Silicon Valley. And, uh, but he was, you know, also for disclaimer, his career also has a lot of controversies and uh, yep. that I also discussed in the book. But one interesting paper he published was 1950s where he was the head of the national lab. Uh, and, and he was looking at all the people he managed to say like, you know, what's the productive productivity difference between these people, right? Yes. And, and that's where the storytelling where, you know, I think network scientists in particular are familiar with the Paul Erdos who published, you know, more than 1500 papers, yes. give and take, you know, the real number is still growing in some sense, apparently. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but like, you know, the question then is, uh, if you think about literature, the literature, usually the question is about, okay, what's the distribution of number of papers? Okay. Yes. 
And and so this is a question, but this is also a question, you know, aside of from the distribution, it's a question every scientist is care about. We look at other people's Google Scholar profile and everybody, yeah. every time we wonder, how can this person be so productive? Yes. You know, how can this person be so much more productive than me? And uh, and I, I think that's an interesting question because we all have 24 hours and, and we got to sleep seven to eight hours according to science. Otherwise we yes. go crazy. Yes. And you got to exercise, you got to eat, you got to you know, do random stuff. So, so how come then there's such a big difference? So, so and that was precisely what Shockley uh, questioned. And so he measured productivity difference and finding that this, Productivity distribution is a log normal distribution, which is yes. a typical uh, class of fat tail distribution. So that means most people have very few papers every year, but then they're very, they're very productive people on the tail end who are like power those, okay? And this is where he immediately, back to 1950s, had this remarkable insight is that if we think about this as a productivity, uh, then it's very odd because most performance measures are narrow peaked, you know, like, you know, you, we run, we don't run like seven times faster than another person. We speak in terms of number of words, we don't, yeah. it's not that. So why is that? So that's where he came in with the model and say, thinking about what I call the hurdle model. You know, the idea is to say, you know, what are processes that can generate log normal distribution is the multiplicative process. Yes. Okay, then if you think about publishing is like a clearing up different hurdles of thinking about, you know, hurdle one is, do you have a good idea? Do you have the funding to do it? Do you have the good talents? Do you have, uh, you know, the skill sets? And can you write? Can you uh, profit from criticism from reviewer tools? And do yes. you have a determination to finish? A large number of variety of factors. And, and then that's where he realized, if you think about that, like publishing is all needs to cross different hurdles in a multiplicative process, then this would explain the log normal uh, distribution. So I would have stopped here if it's just first version of the book. But in fact, if it's just first version of the book, I probably wouldn't even include this because this is kind of... Uh, old literature is not state of art, it's not the main focus of research, but it was prominently featured in the book because I, I feel what is profound is to think about the implications from this model. You know, if this is true, yes. then what it means, right? So there is, I think a couple of implications. I think one thing I learned immediately is to think about, okay, my own practice, I, I do the comparisons too. I look at other people, I admire them. I say, well, how can this person be so productive? But when I compare with others or thinking about how do I improve my own work, I usually focus on one factor. You know, I say, oh, that's because that person is very good at storytelling. I say, oh, that person is very good at writing or, oh, that's a math genius. Yes. But what the hurdle model is telling us is usually this is not just one factor, but multiple factors. If you are twice as good as factor A, B, C, H, then you're eight times more if you multiply them together. So, so, yeah. so it really helped me develop this multi-factor view. And, and that sort of think about diagnosis is that if you want to improve your own productivity, at least for me, I started to think about, okay, so there's so many components. I shouldn't just focus on just one direction. If I guess we can improve a little bit on all these directions, then, you know, if they multiply yeah. on that, maybe 
quite useful. And there are other implications. For example, uh, implications for reward. And this is what's written by Shockley as well, is to think about, oh, but if, if individual output is multiplicative, but the salaries are all additive. They're, within the organization, you don't have someone who paid like eight times more than others. So, you, so, so then that means there's a discrepancy that maybe can be exploited. And, yes. and in fact, that's actually often cited when universities try to give their star employees disproportionate amount of perks and, and benefits. And this was often cited. I, I think the sort of this is where the, the second version of the book try to focus. And I think that this is an example that shows sort of have a different focus on what we talk about. Also, yes. it has a different way, different focus on what kind of a literature we will sample. You know. Yes. Uh, so, so yeah. So, so that also means the necessarily. I would also miss some of the literature that I sampled. I would have sampled in the first version yes. of the book. So, yeah. No, no, absolutely. Um, and I think it's interesting, and it's in a way, it's also you sharing your great ideas for new papers uh, and things to look for, right? Is is you're saying this this is somewhere uh, where it'd be interesting to look. So, but anyway, let's. Let's um, let's talk about one last thing, which I think you probably also has uh, have opinions on, and I think is kind of important just to to think about, which is part of uh, the metrics part of scientometrics. Like your work, in a way, is about figuring out how does things work, how do what is it that shapes us and drives us and shapes careers, and what are the mechanisms, social and individual and so on, that, that shapes things. But there is also kind of the dark side to metrics that's like, okay, but now you have an age index. So now we're just going to hire based on that. So what are your thoughts on, on and, and, and I think, you know, like this ties into the whole AI bigger picture. Um, and, and I think I'm, I'm personally, I'm very split on it because in the same, like <laughs> people are completely unfair. People make biased decisions and, it's hard to make good decisions. It's impossible to read all the papers. But what, what are your thoughts on, on the kind of the, the metrics and, and the use of the metrics? And how can we do that in your view in the best possible way to kind of take the good and avoid the, the bad of this? Yeah, so I, I see, you know, every progress has growing pains, you know? Uh, yes. Just like, you know, beginning of that 20th century, the cars were invented and they kill people, you know, and they kill people at a higher rate than the core horses. Yes. And, uh, but if that's the only criteria we say we shouldn't use it, then we're denying progress. Yes. You know, I think it's important to separate progress and growing pains. And, and with every metric, and there's the well-known good hard law and all this stuff about unintended consequences. And this is in general for human behavior. You institute yes. the policy people get around it and then they will. Yes, 100%. Uh, but, but I think, you know, the, the idea of, you know, if evaluation were all subjective and, uh, and the question is, if we have some numbers and some way of quantifying it and, and with uh, tightened estimates on uncertainty as with models, 
Yes. Would that help all this subjective evaluation? Because subject evaluations are not going away. You know, if I evaluate somebody else's tenure, I'm going to read the papers and form my opinion. Yes. I, you know, if I'm asked to write a letter, I'm not going to just look up a Google Scholar because then they don't need me, right? No. So, so then the question is, you know, can all these decisions being augmented and assisted by a growing range of quantitative understandings? And I, I think the answer is yes. So, yeah. so that's yeah. kind of my view on this. And it's the same as AI, you know, I, I think the AI example is interesting to think about, okay, all these biases and, and uh, how, what do we do? And, and, you know, AI community doesn't say, oh, this is why we shouldn't do AI. You know, this, like, this is the question we got to figure out. We're going to spend effort. Yeah. But one thing I want to make clear is that I think the very fact we talk about this means these quantitative understandings are gaining a solid footing. They are providing value. Otherwise, we would just ignore them. Just the way, why do we care about the biases in AI? Because a lot of their predictions are remarkably accurate and reliable. That's why we rely on our decisions on that. And uh, similarly, I think this is a promising sign of thinking about science of science is, you know, uh, why do we want to think about responsible metrics? It's because these metrics are useful and, uh, and people find they're insightful in different ways. And, and now we want to do it better, so. Yes, no, but I, I completely, I, I'm completely with you that that it's um it's about finding finding a balance and that humans and I mean there is a there's a, a Kleinberg paper about uh, decisions in the New York courts and where you yes. basically show you know like even a totally biased algorithm that makes decisions is way better than the super racist uh, humans that are making decisions right so so I think it's about doing this in a, in a clever way and getting better at it. And, and I think I agree that using the insights is interesting. And also the thing you said about understanding the margins of error is incredibly important, right? Because one of the things that we also know is that there is an enormous amount of stochasticity in this system. And early on, you know, like the error bars are pretty big on our predictions, even if your advisor is a Nobel Prize winner and you've written a paper on your own and nature or whatever, like everything that looks good, it can still go in many directions and, and there's a lot going on outside. So, so finding a way to kind of using that information, but in a responsible way, that's the, that's the path forward. So right. And I think that point on the sort of error bars and sort of the uh, error estimation point is precisely, I think, a lot of the contributions of this recent more computational literature of the science of science was able to do was to develop all these models that are well validated outside of the field and, and sort of bring them in and to think about these processes with model-driven insights. Yes. And, uh, and in some ways, I think the metrics, assigned to metrics traditionally has been care, uh, has been sort of focused on very much on metrics. You know, uh, what, uh, something you hear often in that community is, Oh, if it's not metrics, then it's not interesting. Yes. So very much in metrics, but metrics are often in a way that's like Excel spreadsheet, you know, counting, let's sum them up, some average control for field or some control. Yeah. Um, 
So I, I think that's a very different flavor when you think about, okay, what is the mechanism behind this evolution yes. of metric, you know? And, and I think that's a, a, to me, it's a conceptual leap, but this conceptual leap, leap is often missed because, you know, I also often get feedback from that community, uh, Scientometrics, for example, is that, you know, we don't have the mathematical background to actually understand your model. Yeah. So, so then what happens is that then it's easily dismissed that part. You know, if I read a paper, the parts I don't understand, I just ignored it. It's as yeah, if true. it didn't exist. So, and I think that may have also contributed to some misunderstanding that, oh, we're just studying citations. You know, it wasn't yeah. the intention. I think yes. counting citations is very uh, well studied. <laughs> no, <laughs> so absolutely. But it's like, a, so, but, but there are, I, I totally agree. And there are some findings. I mean, the one that leaves to mind because I don't know the literature that well is like a, when I talked to Roberta, right? The, in her model, that I, and I think you're also in the paper, there's this, this three by three matrix. And basically you can see that it just decouples that those, that those, uh, that, that the, there's a two by two matrix of covariance. And, and then there's the, the, the kind of the one factor that, that decouples, right? And that's, that's data-driven. Um, and it is, it's fascinating, right? That, that, that it's, it's there. And it's just one example of a kind of, of, um, yeah, of, of an insight that comes from kind of careful analysis and, um, and also from forming theories about mechanisms in this field. So, so awesome, awesome that you are all kind of working on this and, and uh, helping make it better. Hang on. All right. So in my phone, I don't know what's going on, but it's been, <laughs> I tried to silence it, but it, I failed. Um, it's been amazing to talk to you. Thank you for kind of taking the time. Um, it's been, um, yeah, I think it's it's been really wonderful and 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 um, and so, sort of hear, hearing all this. So so thanks for being on the podcast and thanks for chatting. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you.